Hi. You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, mental health, and the fleeting sense of sanity, worth, and dignity that we all chase under capitalism. We're going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about art, spiritualism, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and the mirage of meritocracy. Each week, Artists, designers, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, big, big babies, and all other types of beautiful people, join me, Brad Pearson, in a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Ah, hello, how's it going? It's 7.30 in the morning, early for me to be recording this podcast But, you know, that's how we do it there's already, you probably hear in the background, there's trucks making noise, backing up, picking up a dumpster and slamming it around. That's how we do it in Red Hook. We are just up and at them. We've been uh, making noise and shit since about six in the morning. People just throwing trash cans around, getting stuff done, using forklifts, revving diesel truck engines. It's great. It's a, it's a lively neighborhood. That's how we do. So, this week, we're talking to Whitmer Thomas. Uh, he's an amazing comedian and musician. Um, if you haven't heard his work, then I guess you haven't listened to this podcast much because I've been talking to him, or I've been talking about him, rather, um, for several episodes. I, I, I've been recommending you check out his special, uh, The Golden One, on HBO Max. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, uh, go check it out. Like I've been saying, like I've been telling you to do this whole time. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. If you're new to the show, uh, if, if Whitmer sent you here, if you are here because you like Whitmer, uh, then welcome to the show. This is great. I hope I don't disappoint you. I probably will. I just have that mentality. I listened back to this interview. I had a great time recording it. And, you know, I, I always have this thing in my head like, oh, I should have asked this. I should have asked that. We shouldn't have spent so much time on this topic. Just never fucking satisfied. And that's the spirit of this show. We're going to put it out in all of its flawed beauty. Right? That's what, that's what we do. We make noise. We get really fucking loud in Red Hook first thing in the goddamn morning and we and we put out an okay podcast with an excellent guest. He's going to sing us a song. But you got to listen to the interview to find out when that happens. I'm always very excited to talk to my guests. I'm less excited to exist as myself. I'm really I'm I'm less excited about the host. And so if you're new and you're like, uh, this guy, but Whitmer's cool, then I agree. We're on the same page. So check out his special. 
If you don't have HBO Max, then I don't know, get it together. I'm not saying like you suck because you can't afford it. I'm saying like you're a millennial probably, like figure it out. You know someone with a password. I maybe shouldn't be saying this, but like get get in there. Come on. You're listening to a podcast. You're obviously tech savvy on some level, right? You can do it. Check it out. Okay? He's he's amazing. He's got a, a big big baby. Go look at that video. It's it's only like 2 minutes long. And it's awesome. I can't even describe it. It's it's one of my favorite videos. It's so dumb and silly and great. And it was released kind of close to the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and it was it was exactly what we all needed. Just something goofy. Um, and the golden one is kind of the opposite. It, it is very, it gets very real. Uh, it mixes documentary and um, and live like music performance with stand-up, it's funny, it's sad, it's great. It's 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 very much, I don't know. If you if you know that special, you know why uh, I wanted him to come on the show. Uh, so I hope everybody's doing good. We're we're about you know things are getting warmer. We are starting to uh, open up. Uh, people are getting vaccinated. And we're about to plunge into the horniest summer in the history of New York City. It's going to get real weird out there. Um, so good luck. You know, um, COVID cases are going to go down. Chlamydia cases are going to go way up. It's going to get crazy. Speaking of, I was on a, another podcast. Um... I uh, was on my friend Natalie Wall's podcast, uh, Awkward Sex in the City. Uh, it should be released this week. I think it's dropping Wednesday. So I think I'm going to put this out Wednesday too. So it's it's out there today. So after you're done listening to this, go listen to that one if you want. If you are down to listen to me, you know, have a sex chat. So, you know, that's that's what we're going to talk about. Obviously, it's in the title. So if you're, I don't know, a member of my family or someone who doesn't want to hear me talk about that stuff, uh, you know, uh, be advised. But if you're not, uh, and, and that piques your interest, do it. If you like this show, you'd like that one too. She talks about, she doesn't just talk about sex stuff. She talks about, you know, embarrassments and, uh, you know, mortifying moments, things like that. And, and just, you know, what it's like to uh, exist and, and, and the pains of existence. So it's, it's a broader range of topics than it lets on. I've been on a couple podcasts in the last year or so, and they were both sex podcasts. I guess I'm just that fuckable. I guess people hear this and they're just like, come on my sex podcast. You seem like you know how to lay some pipe. You seem like you know a thing or two. So, you know, I, I can't wait to have you on my show uh, about, about porking. I don't know. So one last thing before we go to the interview. 
uh, go to patreon.com slash selfworst. For as little as a dollar a month, you can sponsor me, a dumb white guy in Brooklyn with a podcast. I need your money. It's very pressing. But if you could, if you're a fan, dollar a month, we got $3 a month, we got $5 a month, and up, if you care to. Um, and that would be super cool, and you get bonus content. Uh, Whitmer and I talk extensively about uh, the music of Connor Oberst and the music of Elliot Smith, and I'm doing a whole series on uh, those types of sad boy musics that are exclusively on Patreon. We're doing one this week about ne Neutral Milk Hotel. Hard name to say, apparently, but easy band to listen to. And it's a millennial touchstone, right? So, um, you know, check it out. It'd be fun. Anyway, that's it. Uh, I feel like I have piled on enough uh, praise for uh, for Whitmer. Uh, I feel like I have I've done enough standing at the top of the show. I hope you know. Uh, I think I've illustrated how excited I am to have him on the pod. So let's just go. Let's just go. I mean, that's how I feel like a lot of the time, uh, just like doing this show, just like, you know, I don't know what I was thinking as a person with like social anxiety, starting a fucking podcast where I like talk to strangers about like my most, you know, about like their like deepest, you know, demons and shit. It's just like, let's just do the, let's have hard, the hardest conversation on tape with people I don't know. It was a really, Oh man, same. <laughs> I, I feel exactly the same way. Like, uh, boy but hey i don't know why we end up doing that but doing every you know it's like i hate talking about um private things but then i like love doing it mm. on in this setting or like on stage or whatever not private personal things i guess right. um it's weird it's a weird um i don't know it's like sick but yeah <laughs> like, i mean what what do you think that is i mean is that it it's hard to talk about that in you know uh i guess just like a a non-public forum yeah i think so i think um i think yeah i, I don't know all of my friends we all grew up we had a very similar for the most most of us at least had a very similar childhood and so there was nothing to really talk about because everybody was experiencing the same kind of shit. And so um, I never really did talk about my, what was happening in my, in my life or anything like that. And then when I started doing standup, I think I accidentally told a story about something kind of personal and then people really laughed at it and it made me feel a lot better. And then, yeah, I think- uh, This was pre-therapy and, and pre all of that. Yeah. Um, it was it was pre therapy pre all of that it was it was oh yeah you know, the first time that you'd like gotten real about any of that yeah and I think my therapist would probably say that I'm not being real about it but <laughs> then I'm like making a joke about yeah but that, I don't know you know like I mean you're getting it out in some way and you're making something out of it that resonates with other people so I mean I don't know like I, I, I love therapy and, and therapists and I believe in what they do but sometimes it's like what the fuck do you want like I mean he's he's doing a thing right like 
he's yeah. getting it out in some way and i think that that's a net positive yeah her whole th thing is like uh stop being funny and try to be angry for a minute do you ever get angry no i don't i and I, I that's something that it's like a constant in therapy is like I never felt growing up there was definitely no point and anger was just like absolutely pointless. So I never had, um, I never really knew how to be angry at somebody or to like fight for anything. So I'm very much just like a pushover. And, but uh, luckily I surround myself with people who don't really want to bulldoze me. Um, right. But um, it takes a lot to like really piss me off. And then usually when I am like finally on the line of like being angry, that's, it's just over. Like our, our, it's everything is, it's over. <laughs> Even though right. the person has like done something enough to where I'm like, okay, I guess we're just not going to ever hang out again. How many times has that happened? Have you gotten maybe just once in my life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's crazy is I feel like you have plenty to be angry about and, <laughs> um, also, I mean, a lot of the music background that you seem to have, I mean, so far as like screamo stuff, um, I don't, I don't know a whole ton of that world, honestly, but like, I mean, you do, you can do the voice, the like, like voice. <laughs> and that to me is always like, anytime I hear that kind of music, I'm like, oh, that's, that's like a, a, a vent. That's a, that's just a, a pressure valve for that type of, I mean, it's teenage boys eat that music up for a reason, you know? Oh yeah. And that, I mean, that's the truth. When I was a kid and I was in those metalcore bands and emo core, I would be screaming and singing things that I had never said to a person. So it would always be angry or dark, you know, mm -hmm. just like, you know, looking back, a lot of it was probably like, yeah, um... a lot of it was probably definitely lame, but, um, I was definitely getting some juice out screaming like that. So, I mean, like, that's the thing is like, as soon as you sort of became, you know, became a person, uh, you were, uh, you were venting your emotions through art. So I guess it's no surprise that it, you know, sort of continues. You, you sort of continue that, that trend. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And also that's what I like. I like to, when a person is making art, I, the art that I'm most drawn to is art where I w look at it or hear it and I know exactly what the person is feeling. Hmm. Um, it's why I'm drawn to people like Elliot Smith or, or whoever. Yeah. I just know I have such a good sense of what he's feeling whenever he's singing a song or, um, Oh, emo, just emo, the genre emo in general, you know, and then movies is the same. It's the same way. Like a movie to me that is successful is like, oh man, I really understand what, what that, whoever made that was like going through what they're feeling and why they wanted to make it, you know, like, um, and that's really all I, and you know, to me, that's all I want. If, if if I make an album or a movie and people don't like it, but they understand like what it's about, like me and Clay just made a a movie that's about um, somebody being desperate to have a friend, mm. and then the other person being like, I don't want any more friends, 
and it's very much about me and Clay's real life and our real <laughs> sensibility. Yeah. And it's not going to be for everybody. But if somebody walks away from it and understands like that's that's what those guys were going through in that moment when they made it, then to me, it's successful. It's like it's if they thought it sucked, then I don't really care as long as they understand what it was about, you know? <laughs> right. Being being <laughs> you know? understood is is more important than being liked, perhaps. Uh, I think so. Yeah. And even, you know, like all of my harshest critics are like he's a bitch he's like a little bitch and i'm like yeah yeah so you get me man like i'm right there with you pal like you're a little bit you're a big big baby yeah for sure <laughs> so i mean we we share a similar we share a similar affinity for uh two particular artists for sure bright eyes and elliot smith um can you talk a little bit about them and just uh what kind of brought you around to them or when you first uh, discovered i mean which whichever one yeah it was i found out about bright eyes first mm -hmm. um or technically i probably knew about elliot smith first i just didn't know his name i just knew the one song from uh goodwill hunting right. but um but um i found out about bright eyes when i was on tour when i was 15. um the album lifted had just come out and um, I was in the back of the Clay's Suburban. Everybody was asleep. Our drummer, me and Clay um, were, the, uh, were the youngest guys in the band. And um, everybody else was like at least three or four years older than us. And yes, I don't know why I'm saying that. But anyway, I'm just saying that to say we weren't driving. This, this other guy, Justin, our drummer was driving and um, me and him were the only ones awake. And I had, I was really sick. I had bronchitis. And um, I also had like some fucking crazy stomach situation. I was about to shit my pants. And we were at a roadblock because I was like, dude, Justin, please pull over. I was trying to pull over onto the side of the road so I could take a shit, trying to get him to just like shit in the woods. And he's like, I can't, it's a roadblock. It'll look weird. And I have weed or something. Right. I was like, fuck. And I was just rocking back and forth in the back of Clay's <laughs> Suburban. And he put on Bright Eyes Lifted. He had just gotten this album. And it was that first song called Big Picture. I Big think Picture, yeah. And it I, starts it off just, with people in a car. Like it has yeah, that yeah. long kind of pretentious inter interlude with people in the car. Love those. I love those uh, intros to the Bright Eyes records. Um, and it just like blew my mind. It totally changed my life. Hearing it, he sounded like me, like a kid, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and his voice was kind of sounded like my actual, like I just felt like connected to him in so many ways. You can imitate him flawlessly, by the way. So you do it. It's, it's pretty intense. Well, then I started doing it. Honestly, I would do it to make fun of him. Yeah. But in reality, same. like loved him when I was a kid. Same. But like there were so many haters. Yeah. So I would like, make fun of him. I but, did a whole episode about my relationship with that when I was young and really loving it sort of secretly and feeling kind of embarrassed by how moved I was by it because I, I grew up in Nebraska and so oh, like whoa. it was like a thing and um there was a lot of backlash and there was a <laughs> lot in the way of just like you know just, yeah just haters and and I I mean I I also kind of had a uh a love hate thing with the band with the band and, and the lyrics and Connor Oberst himself. 
Um, mm. it, but I like the love hate thing that I had with it was like kind of a love hate thing with myself and my own emotions and how intense they were. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. What? 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 What was it about the band that uh, made you feel uh, hate about them? <clears throat> Being um, in Nebraska, like knowing their reputation or something. Yeah, there was a little bit of that because so I was in Lincoln, which is uh, like oh the, yeah, I know Lincoln. Yeah, it's the capital, and it's it's uh, you know, they're all from Omaha, um, right. and so there was sort of that level of rivalry, like with our music scene. Like I grew up around, like I couldn't play anything. I didn't have any fucking musical talent, but like I had a lot of friends who were into music, and I really liked music. I listened to a lot of it, but. Um, you know, and it was like hanging out at the record store like every day after school. Um, but there was there was a couple of things. There was like this resentment that they were like that they had made it so big. There was kind of this scene elitism that was happening. Um, and there was kind of this a little bit of like a class thing because it sort of I mean, I can't. I don't have any confirmation on this, but like the word around the campfire was like all the Saddle Creek kids were sort of like rich and mm-hmm. like they had just sort of like bought all this like recording studio time and, and just like, you know, it, it had kind of had a chance that like maybe like a lot of my friends in, in bands who were just, you know, we were all like kind of like middle class and lower middle class. So we didn't have a chance for. And yeah. so there was just like a lot of that. And then I think the main issue though was just a real big, like toxic masculinity thing and just this whole big thing with like you know he's a pussy and he's a little bitch and like he sings like a little goat and he's got that shaky little voice and like right there was like just all this resentment against the like kind of pretty boy hipster thing that was you know it was just shitty guy stuff i think too yeah oh yeah well i mean i being in alabama i would read about omaha and it felt just like the mecca for everything i wanted Mm in life <laughs> which is so funny to think about omaha yeah i mean <laughs> like it, the beacon of <laughs> of hope <laughs> it ain't all that i don't, I don't want to like piss on omaha but like I, I i left nebraska for a reason you know right no and then i've been to omaha since and done shows at all kinds of been in like it's cool and been all over the the uh, saddle creek world and and I'm like, it does. It is kind of exciting because being a kid. Well, the the other part of it for me was that nobody, even the drummer guy who was listening to Lifted, he didn't even like it. He was just like checking it out. Like somebody told him to mm-hmm. get the album. And I was the only person who liked Bright Eyes at all. And then how I and so it was a very like solo thing for me. And then um, until. Like I met a couple girls who liked Bright Eyes. Who, there you go. Yeah, and then it was like hanging out with girls and listening to Bright Eyes and going to Bright Eyes, Bright Eyes, see Bright Eyes in Atlanta or whatever. But then I found out about Elliot Smith around the same time, a little bit after, because uh, I downloaded a video in school in newspaper class on punkrockvids.net of um, <laughs> Bright Eyes playing um, The Biggest Lie. Oh, yeah. Which is an Elliot Smith song. Yeah. And I think it was like must have been right around the time that Elliot Smith died. And Connor is dressed like a skeleton, or he's like it's on Halloween or something. And um, then I went and found Elliot, and it took me a little bit longer to like get into Elliot because he had way more of a discography, and like yeah. he wasn't as in your face, but like 
Oh man, what a time! What a fucking time! Also, every all of my friends would make fun of me. They would like like for some reason Death Cab for Cutie was cool, but Bright Eyes was not. Yeah, for some reason my friends they they were okay with Elliot Smith, but they weren't okay with with Bright Eyes. I don't know what it was. Um, I I mean I guess Elliot Smith is maybe a little bit more uh, I don't know approachable or a little more refined. Like there's is not so much just like screaming, you know, like snot coming out of your nose, like cry singing, like ridiculousness. Um, and he didn't have the look. He wasn't as handsome. No, there's all the no other parts about it. Yeah, he's kind of he was kind of an uggo. He was kind of like a weird yeah. looking like pockmarked dude little, and like pretty little yeah freaking twenty one year old Connor. Yeah, it's like beautiful little kid. Looks like a he he, he both looks like and fucked Winona Ryder. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but he uh, I don't know. Like, did you ever did you hear that? Uh, recording it's like a home recording of kurt cobain doing a beatles cover he's he's covering uh uh and i love her i don't know if i've ever heard that it was they used it on montage of heck you can like find it on spotify now but like it's so haunting and like it's one of the like craziest songs i've ever heard you know like renditions of that song um and there's part of like that was sort of like i feel like almost like the seed for elliot smith like because there he has that like beatlesy sort of sound but there's such like darkness and pain in it that it's just this, this whole other thing you know and it's just oh, it's so good um are you more of a bright eyes guy or more of an elliot smith guy if you had to pick one i'd probably pick bright eyes yeah. just connor outbursts in general what's your favorite album of his uh lifted i think and then lifted, okay Okay. It's probably Lifted and then Digital Ash and then That's a good one. one of his solo albums probably um Upside Down Mountain or mm-hmm. or um Ruminations. I'm I'm just a ride or die. I I just like love it all, you know. Yeah. I mean, I saw one of the best shows I've ever seen was him right around the time of that Ruminations album coming out. And then he, I think he had gone through some stuff and it was, it yeah, felt, I remember all that. It stuff was just like, like him was, and a guy on bass. Yeah. And it was like so good. I um, saw him play with, uh, Jim James from my morning jacket. He did a show with that guy and M ward. Um, it was, and it was pretty cool. Like that was like one of the only times where I like publicly acknowledged liking bright eyes. And we're like, you know, <laughs> like I actually went with somebody and I was like, this feels weird. Like I'm, you know, I'm like this like closeted fucking uh, Bright Eyes fan. And I'm like going, you know, and there's this whole room of people who like this. And I don't know. It was, it was all <laughs> very weird. I feel like I, I felt like I couldn't tell everybody about it. Um, with your music, you know, there is a lot of emotion and sincerity to it. And you're talking about some of the darkest, hardest things in your life. Um, but there's sort of a juxtaposition with uh like silly goofy like you have sort of a silly goofy comedy brand when when you know when i like listen to your podcast it's very like just sort of yeah it's like you and the boys just being being silly boys and then Mm -hmm. there's also this like really crushing uh very serious music and there's sort of almost this like infinity shape that happens with those two things 
So can you talk a little bit about how you ride that line? I don't know how I ride it. I, I think that um, I'm lucky to be able to do both those things. Clay always makes fun of me because he's like, you're, you are just shooting yourself in the foot by like everything that you make with me is like so silly and stupid. But then the, the reason, the thing that people want to see you do is like cry about your, and like tell poignant jokes about grief. <laughs> mm. But uh, I'm just going to do both. I mean, I, I that's just what I like, you know, it's like Blink-182 is like my, probably my real favorite band, you know, and like, yeah, you know, they, they sing um, that shit piss cunt cocksucker motherfucker song yeah. right next to Adam's song. And, <laughs> um, and I just think that that's, and everything, you know, like Dumb and Dumber is like so stupid and hilarious, but Jim Carrey's looking out a window crying, saying how he just wants to go somewhere where they know somebody who can plug them into the social pipeline. <laughs> yeah, I just like really am attracted to desperation and right. people trying really hard. And I'm always going to be a person who wants people to see me like trying, you know, like I yeah. want people to know that like, I'm not cool. And I'm just like really earnestly trying to do a good job or to be understood, I guess, is what we were talking about earlier. And like, I don't really know how I toe the line, but I do know that like when I write music, I just write songs and write lyrics and over write them and rewrite them and try to make them as like me as possible, you know, like just like dissect a line, spend a week trying to figure out the way that the, this I guess this is now I mean before with my with my comedy special and stuff a lot of that a lot of those songs were dumbed down a little bit because I was kind of too embarrassed to like commit and also they just wouldn't have been as funny if there was too many details in them and I think like my more natural way of writing songs is like more like the opening credits song that song called mm -hmm. hurts to be alive and then the last song which is called the golden one those are more my real styles. And then all the middle is just like me trying to write jokes and in, in music form. But like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I just, I just, it's the same as just wanting, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I toe the line or, or how I, if I even do it, but it is funny that I like, when I think about stand up, I'm thinking like the dumbest joke ever, like right. a joke about a dog with a hat on or something. But then when I'm thinking about music, I'm thinking about like, my friend who committed suicide or something, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, it goes um, everywhere. I mean, that's... And so I sort of sometimes will, like, put that into the songs and vice versa and just, like, I don't... Yeah, there's, there's a... Yeah, I don't know why I do that, but that's just kind of I mean, because life is both, man, right? Yeah, life, life yeah. Is, life is both of those things. Um, you know, and, and that really tracks because I, I, I think about every song that's on that special. And um, it's almost like you ever play Street Fighter? Mm -hmm. um, how like the different fighters like Zangief is like all the way like really strong, but he's slow and like Chun-Li is like fast, but she's not super strong. And then like Ryu is like right in the middle. Like that yeah. first and last song, those are like Ryu. Like they, they're like the right blend, I think maybe of, or, or like an, an even blend, not the right or wrong blend. And then right. there's other ones that are just kind of 
up and down, like a more serious one and a completely like really funny one. So I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I, I see what you're, what you're doing there. It's, it's an interesting balance uh, to find. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I mean, I really won't know until I, I put out another album of my m- less stand-up focused music. You're um, writing more stuff, right? Like I've, I've been hearing you play yeah, some oh, more yeah. stuff on, on Instagram live and everything. Yeah. I'm hoping I get to, um, I mean, I'm definitely going to record it. I'm just right now trying to figure out where and when I'm going to record my next album, but, um, I'm definitely doing one and it's just about finding somebody to help me do it who has the time. Um, but all of these songs are like, you know, it's like Randy Newman is like just the perfect mm-hmm. example. And to me, I when I think about Connor Oberst's music, I think he's people compare him all the time to Bob Dylan, but I always feel like he's more like a Randy Newman, especially nowadays. Yeah, he's changed he like, a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like when you were talking about like that sort of, uh, I don't know, it's it's sort of funny and sad at the same time. That's what I think of when I think of his music. I uh and i think he kind of is in on the joke too like my favorite bright eyes album would be fevers and mirrors um mm-hmm. and because i it, it is kind of like on the like a little more like raw like side where like he he does a lot more like screaming and freaking out and those are the things that i like the most when he's just being kind of ridiculous and he's sort of writing almost like teenage poetry because when you're in that mood when you're in that mode uh, when you're really in your feelings I don't know if you journal or anything but like I do sometimes and like when I like this is actually an old journal that I'm that I'm writing my, the show notes in um and when I look back on it I was just like like really in an intense mood it just sounds so fucking silly but it was all very real at the time so you can look at it from both perspectives like if you listen to it when you're really in an intense mood then it resonates with you. And you're, if you're not, my dog is barking. Um, <laughs> if you're not, then um, then you can kind of have a sense of humor about it and just be like, wasn't it funny when I felt like the world was ending and then it didn't and then I'm fine. And then like it kind of makes you a little braver for next time maybe. Uh, yeah, dude, exactly. And there's nothing better to me than when somebody knows their is self-aware about how much they're giving, you know, like, I mean, I always make the joke when I'm hosting comedy shows and someone tells a really personal story. I'm like, wow, sort of a lot of personal stuff, you know what I mean? And like, it's funny to me that when a singer feels like almost self-aware of their, how much they're complaining or I always say that like all the best music is just about like being a little little bitch like that's my yeah. favorite kind of yeah, music yeah i mean you know like that's that's what i've had to uh you know i, th- I think that's what a lot of uh, i don't know sensitive artsy kids especially from like kind of uh i don't know conservative macho areas of the world um have to deal with like if you're you just like i don't know about you but like i mean when i was growing up in nebraska like i felt like a mutant sometimes until i found like my other group of like friends who were like obsessed with, you know, like Mist and Sonic the Hedgehog and shit, and we're just like, <laughs> oh, we're just gonna like kind of link together. But like, I still felt like I was just like this different, like we were just like this different species, you know. And 
and it was just so uh felt so vulnerable all the time because i was just like any of these people could just fucking crush me you know uh, yeah i mean yeah you know that worked for my narrative in a way like i wanted that because i was so in- involved in the kind of like punk punk uh, world mm-hmm. i just like wanted people to want to crush me so um, i think me and clay and like the rest of our friends kind of like didn't necessarily care and um looking back i can't believe a lot of the stuff we did in alabama especially where we're like just i mean but definitely was very like sensitive and 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 yeah i mean didn't like any didn't never liked a single fucking thing that anybody in my school liked like yeah. everybody was obsessed with dave matthews band and jack johnson i fucking <laughs> hated it to this Wait, day. can you do, can you do you have specific instances of like crazy things that you did to try and provoke people when you were that age? I wasn't really. I was just dressing like and mm. you know whatever, dying, painting my nails, and wearing right. like women's blouses and yeah, um, skateboarding was always provoking people. People right. would just want to beat you up all the time because you skateboarded and um, you know. Just all the all the classic kind of things that upset rednecks. But the thing that would always happen with me, and it still does down there, because it's sort of a beach vibe, is people will be like, "You fucking insert like whatever homophobic yeah. thing," and then I'm like, "Dude, chill out, man. Like, what's your problem?" And they go, "I don't know. My jet ski broke. Right. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I think I learned that from my dad. Just like, just ask people a question, and then they realize like." It's nice that somebody is concerned for them. <laughs> they, they no longer want to be a jerk. Um, but yeah, as much as like me and Clay were like, had this chip on our shoulder, but like, we got to get out of this fucking town. We always make a joke of like, everybody was actually really nice. And even now, like going back maybe like eight years ago or something, somebody came up to me and was like, I always thought you were like a jerk. Like who you thought you were better than all of us. And I'm like, oh, you, I did think that. So I'm sorry that I... If I ever made right. you feel small, because I for sure was thinking like I'm better than this town. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of. It's all just, I mean, it's all just hurt egos hurting each other, you know? That's yeah, all it is. for sure. Um, you mentioned something in one of your more recent songs. I don't remember where I saw this, somewhere on your Instagram. But you were mentioned that you, for an entire year of high school, I think high school, you talked like Tom Green. Oh, yeah, in middle school. Here's the yeah. thing. I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did almost the exact, like, I just, like, went around being, like, the Tom Green, just, like, dumb fucking mook guy for uh, attention or just to provoke people or something just because like I, I didn't know what else to do i guess oh yeah dude i would do it i just i i don't know why i did it i think a lot of it was just to deflect to be like weird and just like i've always been that way since it, if i was a kid and somebody was like let's all talk like tom green for a week i'd be like okay and then everybody would last like 10 minutes and i would fully i would fully commit for You'd the commit full the week bet. You know, like, I think looking back, there's probably me just like not wanting to be myself because there's like some familial trauma 
that I don't want to deal with or like, you know, like it's all just like comedy. I mean, I always knew that if I was like weird and funny or if I just like was the weirdest, funniest kid, yeah, my brother's friends would all let me hang out with them. And I didn't have to worry as much about like what was going on at home or, or where I was going to stay. I knew like if I made friends with all my brother's friends, that they would let me stay the night with them. Um, and like shit like that, you know, like got to get good at being in a band, got to get, become a good skater, got to never got to be a good surfer, but like at least good at filming surfing. Right. I would be like, let me film all your shows just so I could kind of get out of the house and stuff. And I think the Tom Green thing is the same. I, I remember being a kid and being like, all right, when you enter your, um, my brother's friend would come like pick my brother up and I'd go and be like, can I go skate with you guys or something? And they'd be like, oh, and I'd be like, I'm going to suck your fucking dick or right. something. Like I'd say that. As, and they'd be like, what the fuck? You're going to suck her? And I'd be like, yeah. And then they would all start making fun of me. And then they, I would slowly just sort of get into their car as they make fun of me for right. like saying I wanted to suck their dick. But I was in control in reality. I was like, I knew if, if I said the thing right away that I wanted to suck their dick, everybody would make fun of me and right. they would enjoy making fun of me and I would be able to hang, you know? <laughs> so that kind of became my mo and it was the same with the tom green thing it's like i think all of the people i was afraid of maybe at school or or whatever if i was just like extra weird then yeah. nobody could really make fun of me because it's like yeah i know i'm being weird i'm talking like fucking tom green like right it's yeah. almost like the prison yard thing you just gotta like act like you're fucking crazy so nobody messes with you for sure yeah 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 it was something like that i don't know it was it was a very weird time you i mean i Comparatively, I had a much, much more sheltered, uh, you know, childhood. Um, you were talking about how you, you know, trying to avoid going home. You couldn't always stay at home. Um, you talked about it a little bit in your special, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like what, you know, your home life was like during that time. Uh, well, it wasn't necessarily that I was avoid. It was just I needed a place to stay a lot of the time. It was my mom was always in trouble so she was getting in trouble with the law or, or whatever it was and so it would just be sometimes i just wouldn't have a place to stay right. and i couldn't stay at home it, or maybe i could stay at home if my brother was there it just was important that i like made a lot of friends right uh, who had consistent lives Right. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Uh, who kind of had consistent home lives because there was always a good chance that like, you know, I'd be a, in bed or something. My mom would be coming home from playing a show and then like get in some type of trouble. And then my friend's mom would knock on the door and be like, you got to come stay with us for the weekend. Right. <laughs> and Clay's mom probably did that <laughs> a couple of times. She'd like but there it. was always like that kind of situation. It was never a the home, like, it wasn't super dramatic. It wasn't like the classic. Al My mom was just sad and like struggling with like all kinds of substance yeah. issues and life issues and and so and then legal legal issues. So until my um, dad moved to Alabama and he got all of his shit sorted out when I was um, in high school, it was 
kind of like that. It was just like very much didn't have any rules. There was, I could do anything I wanted. Me and my brother were, my brother was always so cool and just like patient with me and would take me around and let me hang out with him. He's five years older. So it was kind of weird, but yeah. it, was, it was cool. And then my dad moved to Alabama. And so then my life became very consistent, but I had already been living this like certain life. And so my dad was like, I'm just going to let you keep doing what you're doing. As long as you make good grades and you don't lie to me and like, don't be a dick. Right. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, right. the, um, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I was never afraid to go home. Right. It was more like, I just need to have like my bases covered in case some shit happens. Right. Yeah. You seem to really, really look up to your, your big brother. Um, and it's, it's <laughs> oh, a really, yeah. it's, it's a really, uh, like tender and beautiful part of, of the movie and, and, and of your, you know, like seeing your relationship. It's really, it's really great. Um, Oh, for sure. I mean, he, my brother was just like every thing that he liked, I would like. And if I started to like the wrong thing, he would sort of guide me uh, right. into the right thing. Um, one yeah. of the scenes that really stuck out to me was the scene with your cousin. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Cause like, that was like seeing this big, you know, like, gun toting like tough dude you know like breaking down and and um you know because i and and one of the things that actually really stuck out to me was there's um there's a trump hat in the shot and um i thought it was a good touch i mean i don't know how intentional it was to have that in the shot but like it was um humanizing it was a really humanizing moment because it was you know it was about I mean, there's, I mean, there's a bajillion fucking think pieces on, you know, families being divided over politics and stuff like that. Um, and so to have this like really uh, sincere and tender moment with somebody and having family sort of transcend all of that stuff. Um, I'm just assuming that you're not a Trump supporter. Um, no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, uh, and I don't even know if he is. He just is like a fucking redneck right he doesn't fucking know if he lived in la for three months he wouldn't be that, that's right. how i feel about everybody who is it's like more that, of a cultural you know? thing yeah yeah he, he works on a boat he's a fishing boat captain and he takes fucking trump supporters fishing and so and he also is just like a fucking likes to piss people off too right and um he put a trump piece of trump paraphernalia in every corner of his house and he was like ha, that that's gonna piss y'all your camera crew off ain't it uh, right. and i'm like whatever dude do your thing live your <laughs> life man. and he was so proud and i i don't remember the what the cut the version of it that we ended up using in the special but he was really emotional because he felt bad for me and like he was saying, you know, your mom went quick and all that stuff and he starts crying. But like really what was getting him to cry was like, and I don't think this is in there, but there's a bunch of different edits of the whole special. But mm -hmm. like he felt bad because him, his sister, Jenny, and then my brother, Johnny, they're all the same age pretty much. And they, um, he felt bad for me because I was like a five-year-old, five years younger and was kind of more like on my own. Right. 
whereas they could get in their car and drive away. Um, and I, you know, I haven't really ever been able to talk to anybody other than him about that kind of shit. And so I, I do appreciate that. And like, it is important to sort of like humanize that side, but you know, at the end of the day, definitely don't fucking agree with any, right. Anything, but you know, like Wilkes came out here to my premiere whenever that happened, he, he like is so supportive of me and he came out here and was hanging out with all my fucking queer friends and yeah. all people from all different backgrounds and was totally cool. It's, it's annoying to me that like he's has to, he feels and they, that he has to do that. But I, I do feel like if he just came to any other city, my friend CJ always makes the joke that you should have to live away from, you should have to live in a big city for six months before you're allowed to vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, I mean, having lived in a long city, you know, big ass city for a long time. I mean, there's plenty of like backwards ass people here politically too, but I think maybe less of them, but yeah. um, I don't know. I, I, I think that that's just such an interesting, you know, uh, dynamic because I think that, you know, again, there's, there is sort of a, a, an assumption that people make, you know, you see a guy like that and you think that he's going to have like a problem with a guy like you or a problem with, you know, your like liberal purple, purple haired, like queer SJW friends and shit. And he doesn't. And so like, so those moments like that, I think are really important of, of, um, you know, not both sides in this shit, but like just, setting it aside for a minute and just being a fucking human being and just realizing that like you know we both just like get up and like make eggs and turn on the shower mm -hmm. and shit in the morning like it's just it's it, like so much of that just like it consumes us you know with social media from the minute we wake up in the morning we're just like on twitter fucking yelling at people and reading horrible shit and it seems sometimes like it's it like consumes our lives especially in fucking election years it's just oh my god i'm so glad the fucking election's over not because i'm like happy about any of it like or where we are politically but just because like it's not being just fucking crammed down my throat all the time anymore you know like there's oh, yeah there's the world's falling apart in other ways right right yeah for um, sure so one of the big things uh that you talk about uh is this period of flailing, feeling like you were flailing in your adulthood um, and having this really intense anxiety about, um, you know, I guess failing like the way your, your mom did or the way that you see that your mom had. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and focus in on that a little bit? Because um, I think that that's, that's a big part of what this podcast is about is just sort of those moments of doubt moments of not producing anything of being in slumps and things like that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's funny looking back. It's been, a, it's been so long. Um, I, I mean, it's just suddenly you kind of look around and you realize that you're old mm. You've been trying for so long and it hasn't happened. And I always would look at my, you know, mom as, as a kid, as like somebody who was like famous, you know, 
And then as I got older, it got sadder and sadder. But as a little kid, I would look at her playing like a show in front of 10 people at a, at a restaurant and think like, yeah, that's my mom, you know? Yeah. And then you just get older and then I moved to LA and I become jaded and I'm doing stand up and I'm doing well. And then I start doing, I'm doing well as in like the audience, I'm doing, having good sets and stuff, but then I'm still not getting opportunities and you start seeing people do better than you who started after you, whatever, just like jealousy and bitterness and entitlement and all this shit. Um, and I was just trying to figure out why the fuck do I feel this way? And it's, and it became, um, well, really what happened was that I got sent a video of my mom playing live when she was around my age mm. at the floor Bama. And I realized like she's playing to this packed house. I, I think it's in the special at the very beginning, but like, and that is like the that's her post like all of the best moments of her life like after like touring and living in la and new york and aspen and jamaica and touring with all these cool bands and yeah recording and records and and coming, yeah. yeah and then like she had to move home and she went through a divorce and had a son who died and now she has two other kids and three marriages or two marriage uh, yeah whatever it is and then yeah and now she's like playing to a bunch of drunk people at the bar and that's like it and i just kept thinking like oh no is that me like am i just gonna tell stories of the past and and like i don't know how to do it what am i doing and then i guess i was very much flailing in the way that like i didn't know how to be my how to be myself on stage all the way and so because I didn't have the element of like music involved yet. And so once I started doing that, playing music on stage and doing stand-up, then I felt like I wasn't flailing. Like I felt like that was home. And I think it rounded it off with all the shit with my mom and thinking about her and wanting to connect more with her. And so it made me feel like I wasn't flailing anymore. Like, and people were responding to it. And now I do feel like a little, a lot more peace because I do kind of know how to access like the feelings of like, it's okay. You're doing the right thing. Whereas before I didn't know how to do that. I would just feel like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm not going to do, be able to do the tonight show. Like, <laughs> or you know what I mean? And then, um, once, and but I still feel like I'm I always will feel unsatisfied and like I'm flailing. That's the new part of this is like I put out a comedy special and I finally was able to like pay rent consistently for a year. And like it doesn't go away. Like I still feel un unsuccessful and unsatisfied and I want very badly for the next thing to happen. And it's always going to be like that. I think even the most successful people ever feel that way. And I think that where my mom went wrong was she didn't write about it. She didn't talk about it. Mm. She never wrote a song about being divorced. She wrote one, her best song was about her child who died. Yeah. And she never explored that. She never wrote one song about her, her, her drug issues or alcohol issues or like 
marrying a con artist or her son getting taken away from her. She like didn't do any of that. And so I'm, I will be, I, you know, I, I know that no matter what, I will always like try to be truthful about like my life and my, and hopefully that will bring some sort of control to the situation. And and also like help me feel like a little less flailing, which is, yeah. I guess, because I'll feel more in control. Yeah. Um, but that's a long answer, but no, that's a good answer, man. Um, so <laughs> with, you know, the golden one being out and, you know, it, it, it's really just, I mean, you know, again, not to Chris Farley, but it's really fucking incredible. It's really just one of the, I've never seen anything like it. Um, Thanks, but, um, it feels like that puts a good button on, that issue with with your mom and so like what i'm wondering now is what you want to explore next if you have anything in mind of what you want to like get into next um you know in in like a post mom world <laughs> yeah well i think that that's always going to be part of anything i do but next i just want to write like broad songs with my own sens sensibility you know mm -hmm. and same with stand-up just like not everything has to be like a um full circle you know uh, kind of thing um I, I'm never gonna be able to do something like that again and that was almost an accident that that even happened the golden one so like now I just want to just like be a songwriter and a and a comedian and an actor or whatever writer you know i just right. want to do all the things and and not feel too tied to a specific guy who has whose mom died kind of thing there's always going to be new things for me to kind of explore or everybody to explore but um but i think grief and like looking back is always going to be part of it and there's always more to exp like to think about as far as where I went wrong or where other people did, or, you know, it's, it's hard because of how I was raised. I'm always going to have like a, um, scared kind of PTSD outlook on the right. world. Right. So I feel like that's just my sensibility. And now hopefully people understand it. And um, I'm always going to be like somebody who is trying to like, you know, figure out, like look and search the constellations for some like dot connecting moment. And I feel like maybe now that people know that they'll like get my kind of Bible better and I can write from that place and write from my kind of that more authentic spot and less not have to worry so much about like doing like a shocking joke song like partied to death even though i like that song and just it's a good song just kind of like be more like a normal songwriter guy it but reminds, who knows maybe i'll go on tour of, and it'll bomb it reminds what, me of uh, no it was just saying offhand comment it reminds me of lover i don't have to love that song there's something about like the structure of it or like the intensity oh, cool. of that song i was just like oh it sounds like that this sounds like oh yeah, yeah. um but uh so you had um, it seems you had a good moment of closure with your mom when she died. 
Um, mm. and that was, but that was some time ago. Um, now that some time has moved on, like, do you, if you were able to, I don't know, have a seance or whatever and like talk to her again, like having this special made that's like very much dedicated to her, um, would you want to say anything else or, or are you happy that you left it kind of the way it was such as it is? I think if I could go back and, or if I could talk to her again, I, you know, the thing that I wish I could have done more with my mom is just like have a conversation that wasn't about some larger issue. Mm -hmm. We didn't get to have a lot of talks that were just like, what's, what you been up to today? It was always like something was going on, you know, or like, yeah. Check out this band. I would probably just listen to music with her and hang, play guitar with her. Yeah. Um, play music with her or something. I don't know if I, there's nothing else left for me to say. It was so awkward, my mom dying. And that whole situation was like, you know, I didn't ever think that I, my mom was going to like live to be old or anything, but it was such a, there was a lot of weird shit happening already. And then I just, it was strange. And then the whole gold, the golden one thing was weird and yeah. all that shit. If I could go back and like have a day with my mom, I would probably just like play guitar and play some music, play some new songs and yeah. listen to her. And, you know, that was like, those are my, my moments with her that are nice to think about her. Are, I don't even know if we were even talking. It was like just us, playing guitar or her getting excited that I wrote a new song or something and like trying to write a piano part or her when my, me, me and Clay were in a metal hardcore band and her coming into our practice space with a flute and trying to play flute. You know, <laughs> There's not a lot of like, I don't have, um, I don't know if I would be like, mom, I love it. I just want you to know, I love it. you know, right. I, because I said my mom was well aware that I loved her. I think it was just, I think I would just hang with her in a way that like, I, I don't, I didn't get to do as many times as I would have liked. Yeah. Um, maybe I would be like, look what I made. <laughs> um, but that's, that's probably it. All right. Oh, hi, it's me again. Yes, I'm doing the annoying thing that podcasters sometimes do, where they cut away from the interview to remind you again about the Patreon, which you already knew about. Sorry, I don't normally do this, uh, but this is the point of the interview when Whitmer and I decided to pivot to some bonus content that we were recording for the Patreon. So, if you want to know what we were talking about in this segment... You're going to have to get on that Patreon. So anyway, we talked about the Patreon stuff, and then uh, we started talking about him and his relationship with Mitra Juhari. She's another amazing comedian. Yeah, you should probably already know who she is. Uh, she's great. And uh, so we, uh, we started talking about what it's like to be, you know, in a comedian couple, in a power couple, and uh, that's that's where we're going to cut back in. Let's go. You and and Mitra, that is like 
one of the craziest power couples in the world. What's that like? <laughs> right now, it's, she's in Seattle, so I'm just in our house by myself until June. It's a it's kind of, it's lonely <laughs> to be honest, but it's you know it's awesome. I, Mitra is a, in, in, every day uh, inspires me. Yeah. Her worth work ethic is insane, and she's like the funniest person I know. And she's really fucking funny. I was a fan of her before we dated. So oh wow, cool. so like was it like intimidating, like approaching her or anything like that, or? Uh, yeah, maybe in a way. Yeah, I was a really big fan of the Three Busy Debras, and then um, we met at it, doing a show together. And I remember just being really excited that like she laughed at one of my jokes or something, mm. and then um, couldn't. I was. It was kind of a trip. It was like, whoa, this like person who's like a little bit younger than me who is so cool like wants to be my friend, and then yeah, and then you know the rest is history. But it, it's right. it's it's pretty. Uh, it's it's wild. It's been it's been pretty cool. Is there like a like, um like a uh, I don't know, I assume like a friendly rivalry or is it more like kind of collaborative and supportive? No, I mean, no. With her, she's like so ahead of me and in, in all the things. So like, I don't, there's no rivalry because it's not like, also our paths are very different in, in a lot of ways, but like she, it's hard to feel like there's a rivalry with her because her work ethic is like out of, control insane and i'm never going to be like that so i'm like well <laughs> whatever she got she deserves it <laughs> like i'm not i'm not gonna get that <laughs> you know uh, but it is inspiring it's like it's really cool to have somebody who i love who can also like tell me if something is funny you know right um or encourage me to like do something that i'm like you know afraid to do had you dated like i don't know uh normies or civilians before like people who weren't in comedy? yeah i've never dated a comedian before it is it's cool it's cool to have somebody who like especially when we're doing the same shows together and shit somebody who totally gets the struggle um and is also wrestling with like the ego maniacal desire to yeah. be like heard and seen all the time and whether or not that's okay um whereas before i think most of my ex-girlfriends just kind of thought i was annoying <laughs> i'm sure Mitra kind of thinks that too but like we at least have like an even you can't be a boyfriend if you're not a little bit annoying i mean that's right totally it. um yeah i don't i i had this thing happen one time i was, uh, I was not like super serious seeing this girl um but she was like just like a very kind of like you know normal person worked in some sort of marketing thing like tv ratings thing but she had just like kind of no uh artistic sensibilities whatsoever um and i remember showing her some drawings that i had done it was just like yeah i just did these today and then she was just like yeah these are very interesting and like yeah. and i just remember just thinking like okay so this isn't gonna like it's like she just does not she doesn't get me she doesn't fucking get me and that's okay like she doesn't have to but like this isn't gonna work like you know like if if that's all the feedback that she can really provide then like she doesn't she doesn't this is not a person who sees me you know uh, yeah oh, dude i mean i had a girlfriend one time tell me oh i realized tonight that if i pay attention to the comedian's story 
they become they're funnier. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, all the all, yes, yes. That's what you're supposed to do. You have to actually listen to the joke to understand what right. what it is. Um, so I was wondering. I was thinking about this today. I was wondering if it would be possible for you to play a song. Um, no pressure oh, sure. or anything. Like if if you don't think that's going to work out sound wise or whatever. No, I mean, I just can play one into this mic here. Okay. That would be super cool. That'd be a good way to like kind of close out the show, I think. Okay. That's okay. I want to be funny. I want to make some money. I want to be somebody and I want to love someone I want to make them happy and pull out all the stops get cargo shorts and flip flops and settle down I want to be a mannequin maybe feel like a man again no tongue to tell long stories that it adds some mystery uh, just to be a Trevor amongst a thousand Trevors listening to Rogan microdosing with my buddies that'd be the dream Shackled to a comet I just learned how to park it There's nowhere I want to go But I gotta be punk Gotta do it DIY If I'm gonna sing sad songs I gotta really wanna die And I wanna have a secret And when everyone learns it It makes them all forgive me For being so annoying I just to be a Trevor Amongst a thousand Trevors Vaping in the basement And playing PS5 how did this happen? I used to be a Saturn. I'd aim for ages at the target before taking my shot. How did this happen? I met the welcome wagon, raked their gifts into my bag. Now I'm unhappy with what I got. Maybe somebody can bum one Then I'd get to talk to someone About something someone else just told me I want to be a Trevor Amongst a thousand Trevors Howling in the echo chamber Watching Fight Club How did this happen? When did I stop laughing? When I die I'll surely come back As an inflatable man How did this happen? Was I always so vapid? Now I search the constellations For a reason to give a damn Thank you so much for for doing that for accommodating me on that one uh or indulging oh, yeah, me no on problem, that one, um whitmer thomas this has been 
really fantastic. It's an honor to have you on the show. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug if people want to find you and, and see your work? Um, just follow me on Instagram and watch and Twitter and watch my uh, special on HBO called The Golden One. Right on, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, pal. Thanks for having me, dude. And sorry I was so late. Ah, it is what it is, you know? Happens. Um... <laughs> Thanks once again to Whitmer Thomas for coming on the show. What a what a nice dude. I'm always just so humbled and so honored when, you know, just cool ass people will come on the show and 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 talk to me, a virtual stranger, and, and just about like real shit. It's a big ask. I know it's a big ask, and so I super appreciate it every time. And I appreciate you for listening. I like you. I like Whitmer. I hope y'all like me too. Is that not apparent? Is that not super obvious that I really want to be liked? Don't we all? Who are these people who are like, I'm not here to make friends. Like, okay, you seem like an asshole. I don't want to be that. I want people to like me. Anyway, positivity. Let's um, end the show, shall we? I feel like these bumpers are really awkward this week. I don't know. I feel off. I've had to keep starting and stopping and like re-recording. It's too early. This is why I don't record in the morning. I'm just, I'm all full of caffeine and I like haven't like loosened up. I'm just, I'm, I'm a ball of nerves. Anyway, hope I'm making sense to you. Couple more things, you know, housekeeping. Uh, as always, music is by Shea Bartel. Thank you to Shea Bartel. Also a super nice guy. If you must know, one of the nicest, chillest dudes ever. This is a chill dude podcast. Just chill ass, chill ass dudes everywhere. Um, you can, uh, I'm going to have to remind you again. I'm sorry. Patreon.com slash self worst. Help me out. Help me out. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um... Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Radical Pearson. Follow this podcast, uh, updates about this podcast and, and uh, some dank depression memes um, at, at Self Worst on Instagram. That's a fun follow. It's a good way to kind of connect with the show. And uh, that's it. That's all. Go uh, enjoy the weather. You know, 420 week do it smoke them if you got them it's legal now hey um that's it hope you're having a good week i'm brad pearson until next time go out and fail it's good for you bye